For LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. And we're sort of leading up into the period of Emmy voting, Emmy nominations voting. And so to kind of make sense of this year's Emmys, I'm joined by some of my colleagues from the calendar section. I'm Glenn Whipp with the LA Times. Obviously, I cover award season, including the Emmys. I'm Libby Hill. I'm an entertainment reporter for the LA Times, and I cover things and television. <laughs> and Glenn, you know, maybe as a way to kind of start this conversation, as I drive around the city, like just kind of live in my life. It seems like this year in particular, over the last few years, there's just been so many more kind of billboards and advertisements. You feel the swell of the Emmys much more strongly than you did five years ago, 10 years ago. There's no escaping it. Well, tell me a little bit about what has been the maybe the change of the kind of Emmy economy and like what is it about like the Emmys now that they feel like more of a force? There's so many shows and so many platforms and networks. I mean, if This year, for the first time, you have, like, from March 1st to June 10th to have Emmy events. And, you know, in a normal world, that should be enough. But in the current landscape of television, it's not. So for the first time, the Television Academy has allowed competing events on the same nights because there are so many people who want to wave their hands and try to get Emmy voters' attention. Have the Emmys become more legitimate? I mean, was there a time when they were maybe thought of as sort of a lesser award? Have they always been like a coveted award? Or like how has sort of like, have they grown in importance or legitimacy over the last few years? I think the Emmys now are kind of on the same level as the Oscars in that the quality of what's being nominated, the eyeballs on what's being nominated is just more than it used to be. People are passionate about television, including actors. You know, you have big-name actors making television. They have been for years. And, I mean, last year, Big Little Lies, I think, was kind of the epitome of that, where you had Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, Laura Dern, Shailene Woodley, this, you know, A-list cast in a show that people loved on HBO. Yeah, it's kind of like as television has grown in its kind of sexiness in this town, so has the importance of the Emmys. It's not just... The drag is that it's still the Emmys, and so kind of year after year, they haven't broken the patterns. The same shows kind of get nominated. And I think what's hard is that there are so many shows that it's difficult for new shows to break through. So... You know, Modern Family has been nominated for all eight of its seasons. Will it be nominated again for its ninth season? It shouldn't be. You should have comedies like The Good Place and Barry on HBO. You should have those shows subbing in, but we'll see. Libby, you know, I think there was, for a long time, the thing with the Emmys was there was kind of this running joke that they were always sort of awarding the same shows and the same people. And do you think that's still kind of holding true with whatever the sort of current academy is, especially the current landscape of shows, or will there be sort of a fresher batch of of winners? Well, you know, the problem is we are assuming that the Emmys will remain the Emmys. I mean, before we started recording, Glenn and I were talking about which big hitters, like, are not eligible for this season. And the assumption then is if they were eligible, they would be nominated because they have been nominated for the last God knows how long. So, yeah, there is that batch of non-turnover that you'll see year after year with the Emmys. 
And I think the problem is, again, that there is so much television that um, consensus comes from the lower ballot shows where everyone's like, yeah, this is still pretty good. I still kind of like Modern Family. I still kind of like the people who work for Modern Family, whereas top ballot things are like— I love The Good Place, but that's, you know, 15 people loving The Good Place. It's harder, but I am hopeful because I remain hopeful that the Emmys will improve along with television. The makeup of the Motion Picture Academy is something that we has been covered very heavily. I feel like we sort of all have some sense of like who those people are. Is the same true of the Television Academy? I mean, in some ways, the broader question is, has the Television Academy avoided essentially Emmys so white? And is it because of the nature of who's in the Television Academy? Or like, is there sort of a diversity among the members of the Academy that helps them avoid some of the issues that, say, the Motion Picture Academy has? The Television Academy is so big, you know, we could become members. Probably there's a branch for us, 23,000-plus members. So who are these people? A lot of weird people. I tell you what, I went to an Arby's for your consideration event for baskets. It was just for the Television Academy, and the baskets cast, um, you know, Zach Galifianakis manned the drive through window. And Louis Anderson was at the counter. It was at 10.30 in the morning, and they didn't have any place else to be. And there were hundreds of them lined up on Sunset Boulevard. So uh, who are these people? Um, A lot of people who are, you know, kind of living paycheck to paycheck and job to job. To answer your question about diversity, yeah, they're not getting blowback because television is just such— There's just so many more opportunities for individual voices to find a place to be seen and heard. What does an Emmy mean now? And in in part, I'm asking the question because if with the proliferation of cable networks and especially with the streaming platforms, it seems like it's now a way in which people stake their claim to legitimacy in a way they may not have before. What does it mean when, say, Hulu wins something for The Handmaid's Tale, when maybe a lot of people weren't watching Hulu before Handmaid's Tale, but it's like that draws them in. So is the is the stake to legitimacy like the real meaning of an Emmy now? Yeah, I mean, you remember back in the old days, and it was like, it's not the old days, it was three years ago, like when Three, four, five years ago when Netflix started getting Emmy nominations, like, oh, that legitimizes the streaming network. Same thing for Hulu last year. They saw their numbers spike after Handmaid's Tale won Best Drama Series. You know, it gives legitimacy to these platforms. And it's just, it's, I feel nostalgic for those days where, yeah, it's like, Ooh, you know, Netflix, House of Cards, it got Emmy nominations. It was like a big deal. That was like the lead of Emmy nominations morning we were talking about. Now it's like it's not a story at all because Netflix is this monolith that has taken over three sound stages on Raleigh Studios and has nightly events for Emmy voters and Guild voters every night from May till mid-June with bringing in just Jerry Seinfeld's talking to David Letterman. Uh, Jamie Foxx is talking to Barbara Streisand. These are not really even Emmy events because nobody's really, you know, the Emmy for best streaming talk series is not given on the Sunday night. or Actually, it's Monday night this year. It's not given on prime time. These are just events to show everyone else in town 
how big Netflix is and what reach it has with talent. Libby, I think for, certainly for us as journalists, we know very well that there's just too many shows for any single human to keep up with. And I think for consumers, people at home watching TV, even if you're turning that TV on as soon as you get home at the end of the day and you keep it on until the moment you fall asleep, you can't possibly watch all the shows. And so, again, do you think the Emmys and sort of like the modern Emmys, the contemporary, the current Emmy landscape— Is it a way to cut through that noise? Like, if you say, like, well, we want an Emmy, then that's a way to maybe get some people to watch your show. It is. There is a legitimacy that comes with it. But I think sometimes there's a disproportionate legitimacy. If you remember back when Mad Men was collecting Emmys by the armful, no one watched Mad Men. (laughs) I mean, on the larger, like, Big Bang Theory, Walking Dead levels, no one, quote-unquote, watched Mad Men, but we all had this outsized sense of how big of a hit it was because it was pulling home so much critical praise, so many Emmys. And listen, Mad Men's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's just things get skewed. But you're absolutely right. In a landscape with so much noise, the Emmys do cut through that and are like, yes, The Handmaid's Tale is legitimate if for some reason you hadn't pieced that together on your own. But at the same time, I'm not entirely sure how much my parents, let's say, are listening to the Emmys because they'll see Handmaid's Tale and they're like, whatever, we would rather watch Big Bang Theory reruns for three and a half hours on TBS. Like, because that is an option for them, they care less about what the Emmys have to say. So it's, it's, the answer is maybe. But now, in the same way that often people talk about the Oscars and complain that these are small films, these sort of obscure Oscar bait art house titles, is that essentially true of the Emmys as well? Like, is The Handmaid's Tale sort of the Birdman, you know, the spotlight of television in the sense that it's there sort of for its prestige value? It's there. It's not meant to be, you know, a big audience mainstream show. Is sort of prestige television more analogous to maybe art house cinema than we ever acknowledge when we're talking about these things? You want young Sheldon to be nominated this year, don't you? Well, tell me, I mean, tell me about that just because, Um, I mean, the biggest, highest rated shows, you know, I don't know if CSI that's going to be nominated for Emmys. Or you tell me, like, are those Emmy shows? Considering there are so many categories of Emmy, do they have a category for every show? It's much like film. I mean, I'm looking at the shows I said was would be nominated for comedy series. Atlanta, FX. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Amazon. We really have no idea how many people watch that. Blackish, okay, that's kind of a popular show on ABC. Silicon Valley, HBO, I don't get a sense that a whole lot of people watch it. Veep was another show that the ratings weren't particularly good, but it would win the Emmy year after year. Will and Grace will probably be back. I think it started off strong because of the curiosity factor, but no. Barry, HBO, another series that wasn't particularly well-rated. Roseanne, that was a show that was well-rated, and that's not going to be nominated. It was never nominated, even when it was on in its heyday. Its actors were nominated. But, you know, these aren't shows that are ratings hits. On the drama side, I think, you know, Stranger Things, that's probably the show that people really watch. That's a hit. Um, Game of Thrones, that's a hit. This Is Us, that's a hit. So there are a few, but mostly it is kind of like the Oscars and that it's it's the niche prestige shows. Libby, what do you think of that? Is there a specific kind of show that is sort of, for lack of a better term, Emmy bait? 
I mean, I think Glenn's absolutely right. I think it is very much a blend like it is at the Oscars. You'll get your Black Panthers that will inevitably get that. Holy crap, you made so much money at the box office. And also, we're really good. And then you'll also get your smaller art house films that bring the quality but not necessarily the audience. Amibate is so difficult to nail down these days because, again, peak television, they're still chasing those prestige dramas, although that is shifting because of the prevalence of Stranger Things, the prevalence of This Is Us. I would say Mad Men and Breaking Bad are descending and and shows, heartfelt family shows, are on the upswing. But really, that's kind of a reflection of the national landscape as well. You're finding more heartfelt, more, less cynical things are finding. You look at a recent box office when Ocean's 8 opened to $41 million, and that's because it's dumb and fun, and there's a lot of celebrities. The landscape is changing because the world we're living in is changing, and to that end, I don't know what Emmy Bait looks like anymore. And now, Glenn, you had mentioned to me that, like, last year, for example, I think in the drama category, five of the seven nominated shows were new shows. And so does the Television Academy have sort of a shiny new keys syndrome? Like, do they like sort of like the thing that's new and fresh with what they're doing now? In the era of peak TV, when there's so much television out there, do new shows have some kind of an advantage simply because it feels more fresh? No. That's kind of a Golden Globes thing, where the Golden Globes, Hollywood Foreign Press Association, love to be the first group to recognize new shows. So when they announce their nominations in December, they have like the first crack at the new shows. And it's amazing year after year, the turnover in the shows, which actually is probably the way it should be. Am I saying the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is a very smart organization? But... Last year, five of the seven series that were nominated for Best Drama, as you say, were new shows. I think that's probably a once-in-a-generation kind of thing or once-in-a-half-generation. I mean, it was unprecedented, and I think all five of those shows will be back probably the year after that, maybe even the year after that. So, Because that's the Emmys. It was just one of those weird years where there were a lot of great new shows— kind of fell into what voters like and there were shows that were on their last legs or shows that had departed so clearing out the space so I think it's um, I don't think that Emmy voters have that but they should and I kind of every year want to believe that things are going to change a little bit and that Emmy voters will start to reward shows based on the season that they just had. Like The Americans, that just finished on an amazing note. You could make a strong case that it should win Best Drama. I'm just hoping it'll be nominated. But now, in particular, with the emphasis that's often placed now, not just on season finale, but series finales, the fact it's announced, it's planned, and it's, you know, written for this show to end, is in the same way that, again, with like an Oscars analogy, the final Lord of the Rings film, you know, got a lot of Oscars, in a sense, in tribute to the Lord of the Rings cycle with something like, say, The Americans that maybe hasn't gotten as much Emmy, you know, attention as other shows, in Saying, like, we're going to finish strong, this is our big series finale, does that ever tip the scales for a show? Like, the fact that it was the end of the Americans, is that going to help them at all with Emmy voters, you think? I don't. 
don't know. I love the Americans. I want to believe that it's just going to sweep all the categories in the most boring Emmy ceremony ever. But I feel like, and I don't necessarily have the numbers to back this up, so forgive me. It feels to me like a lot of times once a series has ended, the Emmys kind of forget about it. I believe Mad Men... I don't think it took home a lot in its final season. I think John Hamm finally won, and that was about it. So Americans might be in a slightly different place because the end of their season really paralleled the heading straight into Emmy voting. But I want to believe that they will get their big payoff in their final season. I do not believe that history backs that up. Breaking Bad, that was one. Yeah. That's true. But that had so much hype around it and a lot of Emmy love before that final batch of episodes, too. Does it matter whether a show is sort of, with regards to Emmy eligibility, how current it is right now? Like, if a show has, like, well past the end of its season, let's say, take, for example, like Atlanta, which has gotten, you know, a lot of Emmy attention already. The second season happened. But it's the second season is already finished. And I don't know if that means it sort of like gets put on the shelf in the minds of Emmy voters or like our shows that still have some sense of their current. Like, does that help? Does that make a difference? I don't know. And I'm not sure Atlanta is the best example there because it's not like a show that finished in 2017. It finished, you know, a month or so ago. So I think it's especially because of the types of episodes Atlanta turned out this season that really stayed in the at least internet public consciousness for weeks after. I don't know that that's necessarily the way you go, but you get these Netflix shows that drop in October 2017, and you kind of forget they happened within this voting period. I'm not a Stranger Things fan, but I have to believe that that sometimes happens with them. What season was in this semi eligibility period, which is to say that it'll get all of the nominations come Emmy nomination morning. But, you know, I believe that timing matters in these things, but I have no proof to support that. Yeah, I mean, to your point, the show that I kind of worry about is Better Things, Pamela Adlin's show on FX. She was nominated in just one of the most beautiful surprises. There will be, there always are, you can count on one hand, but surprises that you go, oh, wow, they really got it right here. And then Bill Maher's nominated, and you grit your teeth and go, okay. But Pamela Adlin, Better Things, that was a show that I believe premiered its second season in September. So it finished its run in early November, and I wonder if voters will remember it, particularly because she hasn't really been out there because of Louis C.K., and he was of her close association with Louis CK, and he was writer on all of the second season and first season episodes. So she's been laying low, but her show is just one of the best comedies on TV. And she was nominated last year. I'd like to believe that she'll be nominated again. I'd like to believe in its second season the show could break through, but I'm a little bit skeptical. That kind of brings up a great point. Simply, this year's Emmys are going to be the first Emmys now that we've entered what, for lack of a better way to put it, we're calling sort of like the Me Too, Time's Up era, that since the revelations and the reckoning that the entertainment industry has been going through since last fall, 
Is that going to make a difference? I mean, obviously, show like Transparent, Arrested Development, The Deuce, these are all shows that in one way or another have some, and certainly better things, have some tangential relationship through cast or people behind the scenes to these issues. Is that going to have an impact on nominations? And certainly, do you think that that's going to have any kind of an impact on the presentation, the show itself? Um, as far as nominations... That's more difficult to say. A lot of the shows that you mentioned were already kind of on the downswing. Transparent came out quite a while ago, and that season was not as well-received as some of the prior. Arrested Development came out a couple weeks ago, and that was not ideal. The response to that was kind of non-existent. Better things, of course, we mentioned, which is a real tragedy. What I expect to see in the Me Too era Emmys is that we will get this batch of nominees, and then we'll be like, where are all the women? I mean, that's my anticipation. They were like, you know, we thought we were going to support people. We thought we were going to raise up inclusivity and diversity, and this is just the same stuff we always see. That's my dread. I think that we'll make passing mention to it during the ceremony, but because we're moving already beyond that moment, I don't know how much of a runner it will be throughout the ceremony. Because now we're at the point where we're still talking about it, but it's more about implementation. So the real pushback will be if we get this crop of nominees and it's all a bunch of old white guys again, we're going to have to have a conversation about it. The one race I'm kind of interested in seeing regarding what you were talking about and asking about here, we mentioned arrested development, and I don't think that was going to be a factor in the comedy races. Jason Bateman at Star, though, kind of stepped into it with that New York Times interview where he was very dismissive of Jessica Walter. And Jason Bateman has a high-profile Netflix show drama, Ozark, first-year drama. I'll be interested to see how Jason Bateman, because he could have been nominated for lead actor drama. I think people are feeling a little conflicted about him right now. So... That's the race I'm looking at, and it has nothing to do with actually the show, which I wasn't that big of a fan of. And I don't think, given how deep that drama series is, I don't think it's going to be nominated. But he might have been. Certainly, the John Goodman probably would have been nominated for Roseanne. Laurie Metcalf, this year Oscar nominee. For Lady Bird, she would have been nominated for Roseanne. They were both taken out along with the show. And now with just how many categories there are at the Emmys, it does seem like with the new emphasis on Emmy campaigning, I, again, for example, I recently saw a billboard specifically spotlighting the women cast members of Saturday Night Live. And I think that's is that a variety series is is what they're eligible in that and I see a lot of billboards for talk shows. Like are people campaigning for categories that maybe people didn't even know existed a couple of years ago? Has the proliferation of sort of like Emmy attention really like mushroomed and expanded out across all the categories? I think it's still the main categories. The Saturday Night Live women compete in comedy supporting actress. And Kate McKinnon's pretty much already won that Emmy. She won it last year. She'll win it again. We were talking earlier. I'll be very disappointed if Alec Baldwin wins again for Saturday Night Live because I think his Trump, there's been diminishing returns on his impersonation of Donald Trump. I don't even think Donald Trump watches it anymore. That's so, there's so many. And there's another person in the Me Too movement who, um, Alec Baldwin. We could have a long conversation about Alec Baldwin and his social media postings about 
women and the Me Too movement. I think that should hurt him. I really will despair if Henry Winkler is not nominated for just one of my favorite performances and just a comedic gem of a performance. And Alec Baldwin gets it for doing the tired old Trump again. Let's take a few minutes here to let the two of you kind of stump for some of your favorites. I want to be, if there's maybe a show or a performer that you'd really like to give some attention to that maybe you're not seeing in the way that you'd like. Libby, do you have any favorites that you'd sort of like to shine a light on? I do. I've been getting caught up on one of my favorite shows from last year, which is The Handmaid's Tale. And I'm getting a lot of feedback from people that they're not as into this season. I think this season is amazing. And in particular, I think the best performance on the show right now is being delivered by Yvonne Strahovski as Serena. Strahovski is really bringing a layered and nuanced and really complicated character to life in a strangely sympathetic way. And I can't look away from her. And I was someone who was deeply skeptical about her casting when that was first announced. So Strahovski's a big one for me. I also, over the weekend, got caught up on Billions. And Asia Kate Dillon is amazing on that show and, and definitely should score a nomination in Supporting Actor, which is their chosen category to compete in. So those are kind of my two on the top of my heart right now. Glenn, speak from your heart. <laughs> uh, I love Killing Eve, the BBC America um, drama that's in its first season. And Sandra Oh, she's been at the Emmys before. And I think she should be again. This is just this crazy, stylish series, spy, serial killer series, but in a way that's never been quite done before. I mean, early on, it was kind of like a cat and mouse game between Sandra O's British intelligence officer, kind of she's put into the field for the first time, and Jodie Comer's delightful psycho killer charismatic, just wonderfully charismatic psycho killer. And, you know, I've been complaining about, oh, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm over the whole serial killer thing. But, man, they made it fun in a way that I had, like, started to think too much. I'm enjoying this show too much. But it started out like a cat and mouse. You describe it as a cat and mouse relationship, but more it was just a couple of cats. There was no mouse in these two characters, and they kind of would bring them together in really weird, interesting ways. So I I would love to see that show find its way somewhere into the Emmys. Libby, I remember you being a big fan of Fleabag, oh, the yeah. show that was also created and written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Does not appear on Killing Eve, but she created and wrote the show. And from my Twitter feed, mm-hmm. you would practically think that Killing Eve is the only show on television right now. It seems like it's getting so much love and attention from sort of the TV blogging crowd. Does that help a show? What do you think is the actual sort of like impact or crossover of the sort of mediascape intelligentsia and actual Emmy voters? I mean, listen, the Twitter buzz, I would say, got Tatiana Maslany an Emmy. Like, I was not going to be the person that discounts buzz around a performance or about a show. Now, I don't know if that's a direct translation. And honestly, my biggest fear with Killing Eve is that both Comer and O are competing in lead actress, and I'm really afraid they're going to 
block each other, but fingers crossed, maybe they can both make it in. It'll be amazing, and everything will work out fine in my Lady Hannibal love interest, yes, show. But yeah, I think there's something to be said for Buzz. I don't know if it's quantifiable, but I think if Killing Eve were to go on in the future and public fervor grew for it, then there's no telling where it could go. Now, Twin Peaks The Return? Too weird for the Emmys? No, it's in um, limited series, so it's gonna—it's not too weird. That would be another show that I would just go to the mat for in a big way. In my Emmy dream, David Lynch would be up there on the stage hoisting an Emmy and saying some kind of Zen thing, inscrutable Zen thing from the stage. And But, you know, Kyle MacLachlan for sure is going to be nominated, even though the acting category kind of takes in TV, movie, and limited series. And, you know, that was, I mean, it was so Lynchian. That was just Lynch to the max. That's what made it so great. And I'm sure there are a lot of Emmy voters who tuned out after the first episode, or maybe the second, but Lynch has enough respect, and McLaughlin was so good in it. It'll be nominated. Maybe Laura Dern even. Maybe you could see Laura Dern nominated a couple places this year. And I think with that, we're going to wrap up our conversation, this sort of initial Emmys talk. Why don't you tell some folks where they can find you online, Libby? For people who are interested in thoughts about my cats, they can find me on Twitter at Midwest Spitfire. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-S-P-I-T-F-I-R-E. Wow, I can't believe I spelled that out. And Glenn? I am on Twitter at, at Glenn Whip, two N's, two P's. And for the LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening.